I think the simplicity of it is like if you drive down any street and you look at the buildings, uh, every single one of those buildings someone owns. Like every single one. And so why not you? What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Abundant Journey podcast. Super glad you would join us today. As always, I'm your host, Nick James, along with my co-host, Nick Offenkamp. Nick, how are you? Hey, I am doing super well. Every Monday that I get to start out with you is the best day ever. So this is uh, fantastic. And I'm also thrilled about our guests that we're having on. Nick, I'll let you do the, uh, the introduction. Yeah, totally. And one of the things I'm super excited about our guest today is he's also a Pacific Northwest guy. He yeah. lives in Washington with us. So we are going full-blown Washington State today. We got Christian Osgood hanging out with us. He's a real estate investor. He's an entrepreneur, and he's been at this for quite a few years. But Christian, I don't want to steal too much of your thunder, man. It's great to have you on. How are you? Hey, I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, you know, you and I have had a chance. We Actually, we've had a little bit of an opportunity to hear some of your other podcast episodes. I know you guys got a pretty big YouTube presence. We're going to dive into your backstory and what got you going into investing in entrepreneurship. But tell us a little bit about what you're doing today and what your kind of day-to-day is, what you're focused on. Yeah, so I have a, a few main focuses that I have a real estate portfolio uh, just signed for another 22 units on Friday. So I think nice. I'm somewhere in the ballpark of about 170 multifamily units. Get it. That's awesome. On our way to uh, 200. I have enough under contract to get us over there. Yeah. Um, so multifamily investor, I run the property management side of our business. So I own our property management company. Um, so I manage our portfolio plus some of the friends and family around us, which has been fantastic. And uh, then I run an education company alongside my business partner, Cody Davis, uh, talking about how to take out properties using creative finance, which is how we did all of it. I started with virtually no money. um, And over the last two years, I think it was like two years and one month, uh, we've built like a $26 million real estate portfolio between the two of us, which has been really fun. Yeah. Now, how did you meet Cody? I met Cody. So I... I started my entrepreneurial journey. Well, I guess I restarted it. I, I, I technically I tried to start a church when I was right out of college, but it didn't. It, it blew up for several reasons. <laughs> um, my second go at entrepreneurialism was twenty uh, twenty. I was a sales guy, and I was a really tired sales rep. Whole world shut down, and I was an outside sales guy. Uh, when the government says you can't go out and see people, that kind of ruins that. <laughs> so I was like, you know what? The, if, if there's a time to do this, I'm going to do it. I grew my beard out way too long. I uh, I grew my hair out. I was like, you know what? I'm going to try all the things I've always wanted to do, and that included uh, taking a taking a full swing into real estate. So left and went to a brokerage in Tacoma, and at the same time, that is where Cody Davis was. Uh, he was in a different office, uh, a little further down the street from me. I was running a call center, so I hired 10 people. We were collecting data, and I was using that to expand their property management. There was only one broker in the firm who would ever close the leads we generated, though, wow. and that was Cody. Uh, Cody would come down and say, hey, I have a client for that. And so I would find these deals just interviewing people, investors all over the Pacific Northwest. I'd talk to them about their recent transactions, how they're running their property, but I'd be gathering data. Sometimes they mention I'm actually looking to sell this. I'd get together with Cody. We'd knock it out. But where we really hit it off was uh, Grant Cardone's growth con. We went there because um, I kind of knew of him. He was the guy who would occasionally come by my office and see if I had any business. Um, when we went to growth con, we roomed together for three days. And that's where we really connected. And the rest of that's history. That's awesome. No, I, I love that. And I, I didn't know how you guys had met, but you guys have definitely – the partnership seemed to work really well. You guys are taking on a lot of properties and, and made the shift. And I love the background and the experience there because, you know, in a partnership, you got to, we hear so often, you got to run in your lane, you got to play in your lane. And so it sounds like your guys' strengths complement each other pretty well. I think so. When we started, it's everyone does everything. And I think that's true for most, most partnerships. I mean, when there's nothing built yet. Uh, you, you kind of just go towards, hey, do we have a common goal and how are we going to accomplish it together? As we've developed, 
uh, we've definitely taken on roles where I take a lot more of the business operations on. Um, Cody will do a lot of the, well, he does a lot of the accounting because he's a math genius, but outside of that business operation, he does a lot of the business development and deal finding. I do all the in-between of the, you know, coordinating the contractors, managing the properties, yep. uh, the media side, that's all, that's all my, my projects. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot that we do, but between the two of us, we get a lot farther together than we were apart. So yep. it worked well. Well, yeah, two years, $26 million portfolio and, you know, 170 soon to be over 200 multifamily property. I mean, that is, uh, those are pretty unheard of numbers in terms of just a a blitz of acquiring properties in in just a couple of years time. Super impressive. And I want to get more into the partnership and kind of what the the secrets of success have been for y'all. But before getting to that, maybe let's turn back the clock a little bit. It doesn't sound like uh, real estate investing was always the dream for you. I'm curious kind of what your upbringing looked like, where the entrepreneurial seeds might have first been planted, or where the the turning points were in your life where it was kind of like, you know, instead of doing a W-2 job and working for somebody else, I think I am going to go out on my own. So from your childhood or um, formative experiences growing up, what were some of the, the more pivotal moments as you reflect? Oh, man, growing up, I think one of the big ones is it was back when um, I grew up in the era where they just had like the default was if you're energetic and male, they just go, oh, you have ADHD. <laughs> um, let's get you on. Let's get you on Ritalin. Mm. Uh, so for me, second grade, they're like, you can't focus we recommend you go to private school. So they pulled me out of public school, put me in private school. I was behind in math in public school. They put me in private school, and within like a month, I was a grade ahead in math because I was just yeah. bored, uh, which I think happens to a lot of kids. Is you just have bad curriculum that's not designed for males. But that's a whole other that's a whole other topic. I didn't fit well from even from second grade. I didn't fit well into the standard sit down, do what you're told. I, I just wanted to do my own stuff. All of high school, played music. I was in a rock band with my with my best friends. Uh, but I've always kind of done the projects that I want to do, and I've pushed them really hard. Going to college, I, I actually went to college for entrepreneurship, which is in retrospect kind of silly um, because – what are you going to do? Not hire yourself. <laughs> but uh, I went to uh, went to college, uh, started pursuing that degree, realized I didn't really have a like business plan or any idea what I wanted to do. So I swapped to accounting, realized I hated it. So I ended up leaving after four years. I got a uh, degree in business management and operations, which I believe is the most general business degree you can get. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, uh, from there, I've always been very involved in my church. So I went to try to start a more community-focused church Um Went over to uh, a few towns north of where I grew up in Issaquah, uh, up in a town called Mill Creek. That ended up falling apart because I had the wrong team uh, by a lot. They're kind of terrible. And with my spirit uh, crushed from from not not taking off, I was like, you know what? I don't. I still don't really know what I want to do. So I ended up in sales, and yeah, that from there I went from apparel to advertising to advertising for land. Uh, leverage that into a job at the CoStar Group with uh, Apartments.com and LoopNet. And I did that up until my way of doing things didn't work again, which was uh, start of COVID. I apologize. I said the words, so now the algorithm's <laughs> going to hate your podcast. But, uh, that's, it is what it, it, is it, is what what it, it is. started. Yeah, when yeah. everything shut down, that, that kind of that got me back in the game of, okay, I don't want to sell for someone else. I want to sell my own product. I want to be in control of my income to a different level because they took all the control away again. They're like, you can't go out and see your clients. You can't sell the way you want to. I wanted to set the own rules, but I've been like that since, again, it's just been how I've been wired since a kid. Yeah. And it's obviously worked out pretty well for you. I'm, uh, I'm glad that you, was that your parents that kind of saw, hey, this uh, public education isn't working out. We got to find something else that is a place where you're going to thrive. 
That was that was the school's recommendation okay. because I couldn't focus. Sure. Um, but yeah, they did that for two years, and then I came back, and even th- I remember even that one being hard because I was like, then everyone had all their friends set because I came back for fifth grade, uh, and it, it, I'm like, oh, everyone already has all their buddies. Really hard to find friends. So I kind of did my own thing. Had had odd friends through most of uh, middle school, which was really beneficial. I had awesome friends, but. Uh, never really figured out how to fit in until high school, but I think the mindset of being okay with just thinking a little bit differently than everyone was, was always okay. And I had to be, I just learned things like, okay, if I'm not in the same place, they learned some things that I didn't in school. I learned some things they didn't. Um, it forces you to be more creative while you figure stuff out. I think that happened all the way from being a little kid. Uh, I've always been one who would rather figure it out than be told how to do things. And that's such a theme that we've found with uh, the different entrepreneurs and investors that we've interviewed on here. Success so often seems to come when you do think differently, when you view the world in a way that most people don't, when you take a creative approach. And so it's good to hear that reinforced time and time again. It's also interesting in your story how you really stumbled into the commercial real estate space with the uh, LoopNet and Apartments.com um, experiences there. I, uh, I'm curious both how you were uh, shaped in those times as you looked at commercial real estate as an asset class, and then um, where did you first see opportunity to go out on your own and uh, and start selling for yourself, setting the your own rules. That is a good question. That is a good question. So I, I know I first started seeing the opportunity. Like I, I had, because you have so many clients and you're around so many people. So I chose the firm that was the most interesting to me, and the leadership of that firm ended up not being a great uh, ended up not being a great business owner, but was a really creative guy. Uh, his, his weakness was had absolutely no uh, no discipline or ability to do math. So that was two things that you want to have uh, going into business. He was amazing at building businesses and then losing them. Um, but what attracted me to the individual was just an absolutely brilliant mind for, hey, I want to make something happen and I'm going to make it happen. Again, needs more analytics into uh, how to make it sustainable. But like, it's a guy who just say like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to build this company with this many people. And all of a sudden this many people would just hmm. appear. I'm going to buy this building. That doesn't make any sense. And the capital would come in and he'd buy the building. Um, I was like, that is, that is pretty amazing. I want to learn that skill. And so that was the main thing with leaving the co-star group during the pandemic and going, okay, how, how would I start to branch out? That was starting a project. He was doing a data call center for the smaller multifamily. So duplex, triplex, fourplex, um, data that CoStar doesn't go after and Zillow doesn't really target. Uh, it was a, it was a good idea. It made sense with my background. And he's like, hey, I want to ha- I want help starting this company or this division of my company. I was like, this would be the right experience to give me a little bit more control to do some hiring. Um, so that was my first branch out. The problem is same individual who had all the great ideas who taught me how to build everything right as it got profitable, decided to shut down the whole thing. And so I was back in the same issue of I lost control, but I learned how to build. And I was like, okay, the, the common factor is things keep, things that go sideways happen because someone else makes a decision that has nothing to do with me. Mm. Um, and if I make a mistake, I'm fine with that because I can own that. But it's really frustrating when your projects get derailed because someone else made a decision that has nothing to do with you. So that was the big, I think that was the big moment for me as I kind of dipped my toe in the entrepreneurial pool, found that I really liked it. And then someone else crashed it again. And I'm like, okay, this is my second, second venture that has gone <laughs> under. And both of them were pr- the primary drivers were people outside of me. And so I was like, you know what, if we're going to fail on the next one, it's going to be co- totally my fault. So <laughs> partnered up with Cody and the two of us started our own companies and, it, it's gone really well. Our education platform's blown up on uh, it's multifamilystrategy.com. Yeah. Yeah. We bought a resort that was really hard. Um, we figured out how to stabilize that. That had its best year ever in its 89-year history. Wow. 
um, last year, or I guess this year, I should say. Um, but throughout the last, we've owned it for 11 months. Um, but we're about where they were on their best year right now. So I have a whole bonus month. So can we talk a bit more about that, uh, the resort in particular? I've, I think I've heard you talk yeah. about it on uh, Bigger Pockets. It's in Union, Washington, right? Yep. Okay, so my family and I, we go to uh, Alderbrook uh, Resort. We've gone there a couple of times, which is right there in Union. Um, that is right around the corner. That's okay. literally, it's a, it's a one and a half minute walk. Ah, that's amazing. So a beautiful, stunning area. But I am so curious because uh, you guys are what, uh, late 20s, early 30s? And uh, yep. taking down a, uh, a super established resort in an amazing town. How in the world do you even get in the door on something like that? So what what I've found, and this is true for every single one of the businesses we've done, minus the education company, that one we just kind of blundered our way through until we got it dialed in. Uh, but generally speaking, everyone's done what you want to do to a certain extent. Like you might tweak it or give it your own flavor, but I mean, most of the stuff that you want to do has been done. Um, this is how we built all the multifamily. I went out. And we met with the people, just like I would at CoStar to, to, to get a sale, or just like you would as a broker. Like, you meet enough people who've done what you want to do, and you just ask them how they got there. So instead of trying to buy something from them or treat them like a seller, you treat everyone like an owner who has knowledge that you don't have, and you show us a, a true interest in how they built it. That's how the resort came up. I actually had a friend, uh, someone who... Um, He's a buddy from YouTube. We both do content. His name's Dion. He had checked out this resort, and he's like, this is a super active project, and he's trying to retire. So he's like, this is not for me. You guys are young. This resort makes money. You guys should check this thing out. And so we got down there. We met with the owners, and like you said, Union's amazing. So we're in the forest. We have waterfront, kayak rentals. Uh, 20 individual cabins, all of them, except for two, have their own hot tub. So you have this really cool retreat wedding venue. It was a different adventure, and it's the type of adventure that I wanted to have. Hmm. So we met for about two months, uh, just consistently meeting with them, learning the operations, learning how things were done, how the employment was set up. Um, it was a ton of learning, but the opportunity came up. Because Union is very hard to sell anything in because it has a population of like 600 people. Um, it's beautiful but remote. And resorts have a very small pool of buyers. It's a very active project. So you have to be a resort operator. You have to be, you have to have experience in employing tech, hospitality, real estate. There's a lot of different pieces that play in. Maintenance is huge. So to be the right buyer for that, you have to become the right buyer for that. And I think that's mostly what Cody and I have done for every project. Hmm. A particular transaction, because we don't have any money, is uh, every time we go to these projects, we've always just spent it all on the last project. Yeah, uh, That was seller financed. The seller decided these are the guys who are going to take this portfolio or this set of properties to the next level. Uh, they financed $3.5 million seller financed at four. Point two five percent on an eight-year note. Um, there's a principal pay down at the end of every year for a quarter million. So you pay off a majority of the resort through the eight-year note. And um, the resort pays for itself if you run it correctly. Then we had a million-dollar capital raise to close it because we bought it for uh, $4.5 million. So pretty simple transaction, but you always start with the deal, then you figure out the debt and equity. In this case, the opportunity was this resort at that price. That was the, the, the lowest that I was going to sell for. The debt was seller finance debt for $3.5 million. And then the equity was the last million. We came in with two equity partners for a million dollars with a buyout in one of them at year three, one of them at year five. So we'll own the whole thing. But we had a, since I was not liquid a million dollars, I was liquid like $10,000. Um, we had... Uh, uh, we had two people who did have the liquidity uh, who could get us in the door, get the project started, and then we'll be buying them out here uh, fairly shortly. 
That's awesome. And I, I, I love the story. I love how you've, you've systematically walked through doing this. One of the things that I've heard you say along your journey and sharing here is you haven't said it this way, but business is such a relationship game. And I know that you guys have created your entire systems around that. So, so talk a little bit about why relationships are important. And and the reason why I, I want to bring it up is because Nick and I recently were looking at a business to buy and they had had multiple calls uh, from interested buyers and people just dove into numbers. That's all they cared about. That's all they were focused on. But even as you're sharing the story here about the resort, you were like, hey, we spent two months getting to know these folks and building a relationship with them. And I know, again, from other things you have shared that that's, that's like the foundational piece. So talk a little bit about that and maybe why do you lean into that so much? There's a few reasons. One, seller financing, they're going to, the main reason they're going to sell and carry a note to you is because they trust you or they're, they're interested in you and you're the one they want to pass the property to. A lot of the, especially in the midsize multifamily, which is a majority of my business, it's owned by smaller owners. Institutions don't typically go too hard after the 20 to 50 unit buildings. They really want a hundred plus. Um, a lot of Mom and pop investors, like the, the smaller portfolios are going to go after single family up to fourplex. Then you have the guys like me who you usually end up at the end of your career with a few hundred multifamily units. A lot of the midsize stuff because on, you know, on 50 unit buildings, it only takes four of them to get to 200. It's not crazy to do. Sure. But you have these people in this sector. There's not too many of them. And they're in every single town across the country. Why would they sell to you if you don't have any money or experience? It's usually because you're actually interested in their business. And nine times out of 10, you get a conversation with them, maybe the third or fourth meeting in where they're like, I want this to work because you remind me of myself. <laughs> it turns out there's not that many people who want to buy mid-sized multifamily. Like it is very specific, like people in that business. The guys who want to own the town, who want to build something, uh, it's usually a pretty similar personality type. So they end up seeing themselves in you. Um, you're inspired by them. A lot of them are, are long-term friendships that you build. Uh, but it's with the people who've done exactly what you aspire to. So instead of going after like, hey, uh, would you consider an offer on your property? Or um, you know, a lot of – it's all the stupid scripts people have. At what price would would you be a seller? Ugh. <laughs> hate that. Uh, they're not sellers, they're owners. And I, I'm also an owner. And so when we get together, it's like, hey, you, you've done something that I haven't figured out how to do yet. It's extremely inspiring. inspiring. When I started, I was just trying to retire my wife from teaching. So my conversation was, hey, I'm trying to retire my wife. I bought two duplexes. I, I've come to the realization one duplex at a time is not getting me there. How did you buy this 12plex or this 15-unit building? I'm trying to learn how to play the game that you're playing. And people usually get a little defensive. They'll be like, well, I'm not selling. It's like, oh, perfect. That duplex I just uh, just bought was all my money. I don't have any money. Don't know how I would buy it. I want to learn how you got started. And then we'll start the conversation, eventually get coffee. And through those, sometimes the first meeting, there's a deal there. But that's not usually the case. Uh, the 22 unit, Cody has been talking to them for th three or four years now. Oh. I've been under contract on deals they've had listed that totally fell apart over the last two years, multiple times. And this deal was the right one. They own 14 hotels. They've converted three of them into multifamily and they had the liquidity to do the project. And the other partner owns the either the largest or second largest construction company in town. Um, when you're doing a hotel conversion, which is our 22 unit uh, partnering with guys who have money, construction experience and hotel conversion experience. Um, that's awesome. It's the guys who've done what I want to do. And that took years of not transacting with them and just continuing to meet before it finally came together. Yeah. And in terms of making these connections, I love treating folks like an owner, like what they are, uh, and forming a genuine connection, prioritizing that above the deal and letting the deal come. That's amazing. I think unique in this space, um, refreshingly so. 
But uh, to make these connections, are you s- focused on specific markets? Like, are you just in uh, small sections of Washington state? Are you looking across the nation? Are you just going with like, you've talked with one uh, multifamily owner and they introduce you to somebody who's in Alabama or Missouri? Uh, what, uh, what does it look like to form that network? Well, I think the main thing is just figuring out what it is that you want to do because you may not want to manage everywhere. Sure. Uh, for me, it's, it's it's reasonable to manage in Moses Lake because it's driving distance uh, from me. It's a three-hour drive, but you can make it there and back in a day, and that's that's about perfect for me. Um, so I, I do like the, the secondary and tertiary markets. I, I don't like big cities as much. Uh, we own in Seattle. Um, that's the only building I'm trying to sell. I, I don't enjoy managing in big cities nearly as much and i felt I, I i felt that the opportunities are greater for those you know the mid-sized owners you have a few players in all those smaller towns who more or less control the town and if you spend the time to build those relationships it's very possible to be that guy it's possible to be the one in that town or that county hmm. who is that largest owner over your career so I really like those markets. I'm currently invested in uh, Union with the resort, so that's over on the on the coast, or near the coast. Uh, we have Grant County, so most like afraid of Quincy, that little triangle of central Washington properties. And then I'm in the border towns of Texas. I have properties in McAllen, Laredo, Texas. Uh, but same methodology. Owners who own a lot down there slowly selling off one property at a time to me. Um, and Texas is where I want to live. So that's, uh, I, I will be moving there probably around this time next year. Wow. And so that's, uh, yeah, just strategically going, what do I want to do? Where do I want to own properties? I'll, I'll start where I'm established and where the opportunity is. And then I'll, uh, I'll start where I'm trying to be. Uh, I'm curious, is that <clears throat> mostly out of just personal desire you like texas more or is some of that due to like uh legislation and that texas is better set up for your business goals texas is better for business but i actually just love texas it is fun for me to be able to drive down the street and everywhere you go there's an american and a texas flag yeah uh it's that that means a lot their their food is empirically better I'm down there a lot. Um, <laughs> Texas just gets meat. Um, yes, they do. And queso. That Tex-Mex, yeah. is, that's real deal stuff down there. Yeah, I, th- I think culturally Texas is a better fit. Uh, if you go around, especially because I'm near Seattle, if you're in the Seattle area, it's like it, homelessness is horrible right now. Like, it is absolutely absolutely rampant um seattle and uh, cities like tacoma just banned background checks for placing tenants it's now illegal wow which is ridiculous um it's a hard place to own business it's good to diversify um i actually love like because washington state's harder to own and manage in because the legislation i've never heard of someone from texas being like you know what i want to do Invest in Washington State. You don't have the same amount of competition. No one outside of Washington wants to invest in Washington. Hmm. Uh, that's absolutely an advantage. Yeah. I, I love that. Because I'm willing to do the harder management, I get opportunities for deals that other people don't want to do. So that's awesome. Uh, Texas is easy to manage, but everyone and their sister wants to invest down there. So you have more competition, but an easier time once you own. I like having a balance of the two. So I, I think they offset each other really well on a, on a risk standpoint. I have hard to find, easy to manage, and hard to manage, easy to find. And between the two of them, it, it keeps growth and control in a pretty good balance with each other. I'm grateful that you've spoken to that because on a lot of the forums and things, whether uh, bigger pockets or otherwise, there's so many investors that are just allergic to places like Washington and Oregon because of um, assumptions that they have, or uh, real or imagined, the different uh, landlord laws or tenancy things. that um, So people avoid these states. And <clears throat> the way that I've always seen that is that, sure, there's, there's unique challenges to Washington, but it also means that Obvious to your point earlier about someone else has done what you want to do, and they've done it here in Washington State. 
that means that there is an opportunity. There is a way to do it if you're willing to work through those uh, challenges, jump through those hoops. And it's great that you've been able to carve that space out here. I, I think the simplicity of it is like if you drive down any street and you look at the buildings, uh, every single one of those buildings someone owns. Yeah. Like every single one. And so why not you? I mean, it, it, it's that simple because I'm assuming not every single one of them is losing money. Uh, just very, very, very unlikely. That doesn't sound like a great business model. <laughs> so when you go anywhere, it's like there's a ton of buildings everywhere. You can pull up Google Maps or on my little Tesla thing. I get to, you, know, you look on the map I'm like, wow, that is just a lot of stuff. Yeah. And that's how we find all of our deals, actually. I go on Google Maps and you look for the long roofs and residential areas. I'm like, bet you that's multifamily. Uh, very easy to look up the owner. It's totally free. You can do it online. Uh, just, you know, Google, you know, what's the property address, who owns it. If it's an entity, plug it into open corporates, but you can figure out for free who owns all these things and you just reach out and you go like, Hey, it's like Google map and saw this, you know, saw you own this like big long roof next to one of my buildings. Yeah. I didn't even know this building was here. How long have you owned this thing? <laughs> I mean, just very easy to make connections, but that's, that's how it, People are like, how do you find deals? I'm like, I found a magical map online that has every single building. Satellite view. It's awesome. <laughs> Hiding right there in plain sight. Right in your backyard. Yeah. yeah. No. Well, yeah. That, I love that. Christian, let me let me pivot a little bit here. I know that in the way that you guys approach debt, you know, a lot of folks are afraid of the rising interest rates, bank debt. There's a lot of conversations there. One of the things you guys seem to focus on is really playing the long game and that being super important. And so I'm just curious for you, as you look, I mean, why is the long game important? Why are you not trying to, you know, do what everybody else is doing and just gobble up as much as you can, as quick as you can? So uh, the goal, this actually came for that, that first mentor who, who bought anything that he was excited to buy and then would uh, subsequently lose it because no math or game plan. Um, a lot of people are really excited to buy. And there's a few big problems in our industry. I, I honestly think one of the bigger ones is, is the way syndication has been treated the last year. It's not that it's not a valid way to buy things. It's there's a heavy focus on new investors should do this and you're paid all your fees up front. That's, that's a problem on multiple levels because now incentives don't align correctly mm -hmm. with objectives. For Cody and I, the goal is very simple. How do you buy it and how do you never lose it? If you do those two things, you've accomplished buy and hold real estate. <laughs> if you buy and hold real estate for a long period of time, you make a lot of money. Um, there is no point in time where you can look back 30 years on a piece of real estate and it's not worth astronomically more. All you have to do is hold it for that time. So when yeah. we're buying stuff, I, rising interest rates doesn't really matter to me because interest rates go up and down over time. Like we've had artificially low for a long time. That's been fantastic, but that's never gonna, that was never going to be sustainable. So while people were buying a lot of stuff, and again, this was rampant in syndication, they're buying a lot on variable rate debt because that extra half point off was their whole margin. Mm -hmm. They're like, hey, if I can get a little lower rate, it's variable. Rates have gone down. This is perfect. If you just find a rate that works where you cash flow, you get a long-term debt product, which we tend to do in seller financing, 10, 15, 30-year debt products, and you can lock in an interest rate where it works, it doesn't matter. Rates go up, my fixed rates don't. It's it's really just that simple. As we, we're just asking, how do you keep real estate? You eliminate the variables that lose real estate. So now here we are, most of the portfolio, I mean, I, I started buying back in 2016, my first property, but I mean, really started my investing journey in 2020. So here I am three years into investing. We've amassed multi-million dollar net worth. And we're like a few years in, you continue to hold these. Realistically, what happens, interest rates are way up, prices have slowed down, but we haven't seen them drop nearly as much as people were worried about. Uh, rents came up to meet it pretty quick. Well, if interest rates come back down, prices are going to skyrocket back again. Uh, but you have a bunch of cycles of those. And you look over time and real estate goes up and up and up. And, that, and that's all it is, is you hold them. All the people we meet with who have 
made it in real estate. They're, you know, they're 70 years old. They have hundreds and hundreds of units. They usually pay off their debt. And so now you sit, sit here with no debt. You played your game. It's a hard game. You've worked really hard, but you're looking at the, you're looking at the income. And you're like, oh yeah, I cash flow a couple hundred thousand dollars a month. Yep. This is, that's insane. You can <laughs> only do that when you hold real estate. Totally. You can actively sell it. You can trade it. You can do all this stuff. You can make millions, but the crazy money and the crazy stability only comes from just buying and never selling. And if you can, if you can come up with a model to do that, uh, th that's all Cody and I focused on building. I love the, uh, the focus there, that simple vision and sticking to it. And like you said, I mean, it's, uh, it's simple. It doesn't mean it's easy. Uh, it's, it's certainly hard. Um, <clears throat> how many deals do you feel like you're looking at before you're actually going into contract on something? Maybe three. Okay. We're not, we're not volume guys. Yeah. And I have people in our mentorship group who are, who've been really successful. They've made hundreds of calls. They keep big spreadsheets on every broker in the state of Texas. And I, I, my buddy Caleb Hommel has done amazing. He's a, he's 20 years old now. He has 53 multifamily units. So he's he's wow. an absolute titan. <laughs> and he does the volume approach. Sure. Um, same seller finance strategies, but with the relationship game, I'm communicating my goals in less than a minute. But I'm, I'm talking about like, hey, here is what I am trying to do. Here's what you've done. And that's the basis of our relationship. So I am learning from people, meeting with people over coffee. They know what I'm trying to accomplish. Whenever someone puts a deal in front of me, especially an owner, it's because they think that deal makes sense with the pieces that I have. It's uncommon that people put a deal in front of us, uh, me or Cody, where we can't look at it and go, okay, well, this is what we need to make it work. We're really close. This hits our objectives. Let's go. The relationship-based game, uh, there, there's a lot less volume to do. It's, I think it's a higher skill level. But essentially, my method is I make roughly five calls a week to new owners. Uh, out of five calls, two people will pick up. Out of two people, one of them will book a coffee meeting. That's been very consistent, which means every year, if I take a two-week vacation, I'm meeting 50 owners in a given market. That's that's basically everyone in the tertiary market. Yeah. <laughs> you meet 100% of the players. All of them know what your goal is, and you know how they built all their portfolios. The deals that come to you out of that are the type of deals that you know that you want to buy. So like when we come up with stuff, it's like, yeah, we're, we're going to do that deal. That's, yeah. It's literally what, the, the multi-millionaire uh, life hack right there. That's, that's, that's awesome. right. <laughs> I, I just was going to ask, too, you, you mentioned – you know, sometimes people have this limiting belief that they can't do it in their market or it's too expensive or there's no deals in their market. You're focused on other markets outside of your sphere. You're not, are you hopping on a plane going to Texas to do coffee or you, you scheduling phone meetings or what does that look like? Yep. That is the way I have done it. So the deal has to be, this is my rule for out of state or out of area. It has to be a big enough deal to merit the travel to the area. The people I know most consistently, because there's there's some online people who've done, still done well, but they do a lot of like you watch their posts and their their online posts are like, how I lost twenty five thousand dollars on this deal. And it's super clickbaity. Um, some of them are still great investors, but it's the people who have those posts of how I lost money on this property, are almost always the people who don't see the properties. They they come up with all these systems of oh I can just buy stuff all over the country, usually for really cheap. And um, it has problems. I've had people, they're like, oh, yeah, my contractor fell through the second floor. Um, we probably should have walked that deal. It's like, yeah, that that, that stuff will happen <laughs> in the event that you don't have, uh, you haven't seen the property. There's, there's a certain amount of uh, management by walking around that you have to do on a deal. So for me, uh, it, like for Texas, a lot of them are larger deals. Um, there's enough money and enough upside where I'm like, this is absolutely worth hopping on a plane, meeting the owner. Um, I, I do it all the time. I booked a, I'm going to be in Texas just on vacation with my wife or doing some, doing some preliminary neighborhood shopping. Um, but even when we're down there, I have meetings booked with several owners who I'm down there for vacation. I know I want to live there. I have a whole day dedicated to just getting coffee. I'm going to be really caffeinated. I'm going to have the jitters, but <laughs> we're, we're meeting coffee with like person after person after person. 
because uh, I'm down there and I, I want the relationships. Hey, I want to ask, so you mentioned um, one of the things you talk with business owners originally when you were getting started was uh, your plan to retire your wife in 10 years. And then all of a sudden, you know, you wanted to make that a much shorter timeline. Um, So speak to the why. I mean, having a ton of properties, having the the huge portfolio and millions of dollars, that's all cool, uh, no doubt. But what, uh, what is it that really drives you and what's What's kind of the vision behind what you're growing here? Well, initially, yeah, the main things were the wife. I think this resonates for most men, but it's like it, it, as, as most husbands, a huge goal is, hey, I want to provide to the highest level that I can. That That's a level of control and a point of pride for a lot of people. So getting my wife out of the school district as it started to crumble and well, I mean, it was already bad, but like 2020 got ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Um, especially in, <coughs> sorry about that, uh, especially in um, certain states. I won't get overly political on uh, on your podcast, but certain areas, it got worse than others. Ours was one of those. When we, when that happened, like, that was a big one. We've been talking about having an adventure and moving to Texas for a while. And so that's that's the other part of the goal is like, okay. What do we want life to look like? It's not sports cars or crazy money. It's, uh, I want to have a bigger house. Uh, My laundry room's in my garage. I'd like to have the laundry room inside the house. Like stuff like that. Cost a little bit of money, not a ton. But I want the stability to be able to provide that. How many units and how much cash will it take to get there? That's phase one. Hmm. And for everyone who's trying to do it in real estate or entrepreneurship in general, that's the main thing is what is the actual lifestyle that, I'm trying to provide, and what does that cost? Basic, basic math on a monthly basis. What do I need to actually build? Once you build that engine, which I have, uh, and I'm, I'm super blessed that that happened as fast as it did. I retired my wife in 11 months of business. Uh, here in year two, we have the finances put together to be able to go to Texas. However, I have too many companies, so I have to stabilize all the employee bases. With that done... I've hit all my goals. And so now you get into the part where you just play the game. And that's every every investor who I know who has lots of units in the in the multiple hundreds. They love the game. They can't stop playing the game. And that's that's where I'm gonna find myself next. Is now you're going, how do I play in a way where I I I lock in my gains, I don't lose pieces, I play conservatively. But we continue to expand because we found something that we're good at, that we're passionate about. We have some pieces on the game board. And I'm entering that phase right now where we get to buy things because it builds the it builds the company, it employs more people, and, and we have fun. We're getting there. I think I'll officially be there all the way when I'm in Texas because <laughs> then I've actually like knocked out all the goals. Yeah. But we're hitting that point where like there's projects that I'm doing like yes they'll make money yes they're in long-term fixed rate debt but they're also like the hotel conversion that's a fun challenge the the newness is why i'm doing it now is i love the game totally and i love that you're bringing uh, education and mentorship to that as well now with the success that you've achieved that instead of just holding all of that to yourself you're finding ways both through uh, podcasts like this and all of the other podcasts that you've been featured on, and then with multifamilystrategy.com and the course that you've built out there. Um, it's really amazing to see your your generosity as opposed to just hoarding all of the knowledge and experience you've gotten. And that's pretty prevalent in this industry. What I found is that uh, most people in real estate, their friends and family don't really care. Like you're super passionate about it. No one really cares. Uh, I think the big thing for a lot of people is you have a, a, a small community who really loves this game and it, it plays just like a board game, right? You get, you get pieces on the board. The more pieces you have, the more moves available. You, you have different resource pools with cash, cash flow and equity. I mean, it really does play just like a board game. People who love the game, love the game. And uh, yeah, I, you'll find the people who you want to meet with going through our strategy of like, just meet the people who don't you want to do. 99% of them do not have people who want to listen to their their story. When you're that one person who really is just interested in how they did it, everyone shares. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. 
Well, Christian, we're going to transition here to our gold nugget round. It's the same four questions that we always ask our guests. And, you know, before we do that, thanks for, for the, the interview and all the stuff that you've shared. Tons of wisdom for our listeners. And Nick will wrap it up here in a minute. But let's jump right in. So here at Abundant Journey, we talk about the five Fs. So I'm going to have you pick one of these categories and tell me how you're working on growing or getting better this year. So we got family, finance, faith fitness, and future. So pick one of those. Tell us how you're working to grow this year. Family, fate, fitness, future. Pick one of them. Okay. Um, one of my best friends, I actually referenced them earlier, uh, Caleb, one of our early mentees. Uh, this year, uh, he found he found his faith. Um, he came in on a phone call to me. He's like, hey, can you explain to me what the gospel is? I'm like, wow, talk about a lay down. If you're a, if you happen to be a Christian and uh, you believe in, in, in sharing your faith is important, uh, you don't get a better lay down than, than one of the people who you teach finance calling and saying, hey, can you uh, literally explain the gospel A to Z? That has been really rewarding for me. And, uh, you know, I'm not one for shoving your faith down someone's throat. But having the ability to share that and get into church communities and just being around that has been fantastic for me, especially coming from a church planting background initially. Um, the first venture not working out, I didn't realize this. That kind of took me out of my out of my groove for like a decade. Mm-hmm. I was so passionate about that. I, I, I just kind of focused on other things. So that coming back into play this year is such a, a, a like a total laydown was amazing. Um, and really being able to invest in that particular relationship throughout this year, I, I think it's been huge for me in faith. I want to be doing more of that as I move forward. It is I share the real estate journey all the time. I don't share the faith journey as much. I'm going to be doing more of that throughout the year. Just real quick. I mean, it is crazy how, uh, in the church world, it's easy to get in the mindset of that. Oh, the, the real work of ministry is done by the pastors and the professionals that are in the church, but I've seen it time and time again, uh, business owners and entrepreneurs have an unbelievable opportunity to speak truth into people's life. And I just love that you're experiencing that in ways that you wouldn't have maybe foreseen. Yeah. Yeah, uh, That's been amazing. So yeah, of all the, of all the stuff that goes on, I think that's the, that's the most important one to share. So yeah, I love that. I like that. I like that nugget. Good question. No, thank you. And that, that great answer. So, (laughs) Hey, next one here. What's a quote from a book or mentor that stuck with you along your journey? Um, it's funny enough. It's, 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 I got so much from that one mentor who was terrible at business. (laughs) Uh, He he was the mentor on how not to do business, (laughs) but, um, he said something that was, I think it was the last block for me being an entrepreneur, which is, um, he said, don't be weird about money. And now for him is because, uh, he had, he had default, uh, he had defaulted on a note to me. And so <laughs> don't be weird about money was, I have no ability to pay you. Uh, but, but, but the actual thought really did carry through. Cause I realized that I did have some discomfort around money where it's like the, the thought was, Hey, my money's out. And I have no control of it anymore, and it's not coming back. Hmm. That was very stressful for me, and that stress kept me from solving the actual problem of well, how do I just go out and generate more money? Um, and that's happened before for us. Like we've had deals where um, people have decided, hey, I don't want to sign for the deal anymore, but I'm going to try to hold up the earnest money, and so now I have like six figures of earnest money. That's just I'm like I have to now sue for specific performance, yeah. but my money's tied up. If I was weird about money. The focus would be like, oh my gosh, I need $140,000 or $130,000 or whatever it was, and it's tied up. Instead of, okay, well, that's tied up. What pieces do I have? Let's move forward. Like, taking the stress out of money was huge. So Walt, his metaphor is totally wrong, like, or at least the, the, the motivation behind it was, uh, that don't be weird about money will take you so far as an entrepreneur. I don't yeah. That's good. Solid. Next one here. What's a dream or goal that you have that you've not been able to make happen yet and you can't use Texas because you've already shared it? Dang it. This is a main <laughs> one. I am hyper-focused on goals and that is, um, okay, it's adjacent to Texas but because I'm going to do it when I'm in Texas, but I want a pickleball court in my backyard. Yeah. My backyard is my wife designed it beautifully. It has the size, but I can't fit it in the, the way that we landscaped it. There's no physical way I can Jenga that thing in there. 
So, well, in my lifetime, I will put a pickleball court in my backyard. Once you get it, please invite us over. That'd be so <laughs> fun. You, you are welcome to. It's going to be really terrible in the summer because it's like 110 degrees in Dallas. But um, that's all right. The it'll rest it'll of the give year, me an excuse for why I'm so bad at the game. But <laughs> yeah, no, that absolutely, right absolutely. You guys are welcome. I love it. Last one here. So, at the end of your life, what do you hope you'll be remembered for? I hope I'll be remembered for generosity. I love it when people reach out and I can help. One thing I do every single week, and I, I wish I could do it more, but <clears throat> time, it, it takes a lot of time. A lot of people, because I've done well in the last two years in finance, I'll get a lot of messages on like, hey, I'm stuck and I have a hard financial situation. I've been blessed once a week where I get to actually talk to people who are like, hey, I'm, I'm looking at bankruptcy. Here's my pieces. Um, I have these two properties. Something's gone wrong. I'm going through whatever it is. I get a lot of those. And pretty much every single week, I hop on an hour-long call with someone. And just whatever it is about the way that my mind works, we're usually able to figure out something with the pieces they have to solve the problem. Just being able to give my time like that, if there's anything I'm remembered for, it's like, hey, that was the one guy when I was stuck who picked up the phone and helped me work the pieces. If nothing else, I love doing that. Nominal response, man. And uh, to that point, so grateful for the generosity of your time here, all of your thoughtful responses to these questions. So many helpful takeaways for our listeners. Last thing before you go, what's the best way for people to connect with you? So if you want to connect with me directly, at Christian Osgood on Instagram is where I respond the fastest. If you guys want to learn how we did what we did, my business partner's name's Cody. Um, you can check out our YouTube channel. It's Cody and Christian Multifamily Strategy. That's a great way to kind of figure out who we are and how we do what we do. Awesome. And then uh, multifamilystrategy.com is where folks can find your coaching, right? Yep. Coaching and mentorship. I got a course with about 200 mini videos and uh, a mentorship group that spans, used to be all across the country. Now we're in like four different countries. Um, so all over the globe, uh, apparently people just love this because it's so darn simple. The empire is um, expanding. I absolutely love it. Well, I will yeah. include links uh, to, to your social profile, to the YouTube channel, and multifamilystrategy.com in the show notes. So listeners, do be sure to check that out. Everybody, thanks so much for coming along on the journey with us this week. I look forward to being back again next week. Thanks so much, Christian. Perfect. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.